Hello guys, welcome to our annual 1 to 24 league table predictions across the EFL. We of course are not the top 20 pod. I'm Ali Maxwell, next to me is George Ellick. These are probably our favourite things to do each year. They're certainly the most highly anticipated and probably uh, after you've listened to this episode where we'll go through the championship uh, we'll probably have put your team somewhere you don't agree with and by the end you'll probably absolutely hate us but maybe not we're hoping to come from a place of uh, good research a place of objectivity and hopefully some some interesting picks as well so please do stay tuned because we're going to go from 24th to 1st through the championship table we've had some some famous predictions throughout the years uh, Cardiff Huddersfield spring to mind we've had some less good predictions that we can't remember um, but but bear with us because off we go we're going to get straight into it we'll start at the bottom so we'll get the the nastiness out of the way George and, and uh, in 24th place in the championship a team that stayed up in injury time of the last game of last season Bolton Wanderers and their manager Phil Parkinson why do we think they're going to be bottom of the championship this season yeah sorry Bolton fans it's a weird one for us to put them 24th because I think we're both a big fan of the manager and also a few of the players I mean Oztoom is a player we've given a lot of um, credit to in the past and they were obviously brought in Josh McGuinness today who looks like a fairly decent signing if not prolific but I think as a club, I mean, the, the way they stayed up last season was, was fairly miraculous. And, and there was a, something of a breakdown of, of relationship between Parkey and, and, and the fans, which could spell trouble going into, you know, in the first few months of the season, if it doesn't go to plan. It just seems to me, looking at the squad, there's a lack of quality. The, the way that they play, you know, it, it's going to be pretty ugly as Parkey uh, often plays as football. You've got Clayton Donaldson and Josh McGuinness up top. I don't think Oztum is going to see much of the board in the way they play. It just feels like survival here would be a huge achievement and for that reason alone if Parky's still there at the end of the season it probably means that they have stayed up but it just looks like a, a, a task too far yeah I think we definitely like Parkinson and you know from the way you started your answer I was already having second thoughts about this but <laughs> no we're sticking to our guns I, I completely agree with you that you know that there's always the level of quality in this league seems to me to improve each year and you're not sure that Bolton's level of quality just in terms of playing staff uh, is really moving with the times and you know how many times can Phil Parkinson do a miraculous job well it remains to be seen but they're 24th for us 23rd place George our prediction uh, is is Reading and it won't come as a surprise to anyone but we're taking these predictions seriously and there's, there's, there's no reason for anyone to think that this is some sort of vendetta or anything, but from our point of view, and, it, and of course it remains to be seen and will be proven right or wrong, but, but from your point of view, especially Reading are a team to, to, to be backing for, for relegation to League One. So talk us through it. <coughs> yeah, I'm fairly confident with this one. Um, it must be said, I, I mean, I think the performances after... You know, after Stam left, uh, deteriorated despite the, the results that kept them up. Um, if you're looking at the transfer business, I think that, that the signings of O'Shea and, and, and David Mailer are, are fairly desperate. I mean, there's some good stuff in there as well. Um, you know, Andy Eardham's a, a perfectly capable right back at that, at that level. But you're know, looking at the up front, Sam Baldock and, uh, and Mark Minolti, but there still seems to be a huge, huge gap in, in the midfield in terms of creativity from out wide and in midfield I don't think that McNulty or Bulldog are going to suddenly score goals without any service and the defence was poorest towards the back end of last season there's no reason whatsoever for it that to change um, they were conceding an incredible amount of shots good shots as well uh, talk that Liam Moore may be off as well which would just be the final nail in the coffin I, I'm unbelievably confident that 
and uh, well I'm confident that things would have to change hugely like massively from last season in order for the, for this Reading team to, to to be anything better than, than relegation fighters Clement has a reputation for, for being a manager that can set up his teams fairly well on the defensive end you know with a, with a summer to, to work with that does not give you doesn't give you too much pause for thought clearly I don't think the players are there I mean especially if more goes then you've got a Laurie McShane O'Shea I mean these aren't players who are good enough in my opinion to keep clean sheets against the quality of attack they're going to be facing and um, and, and again I just think that there'll be, there'll be a lack of service there'll, there'll be few shots on goal that they've lost that possession style of football that Yapstan brought in which at least meant they had the ball for a fair bit I mean after Clement game and they rarely they rarely even touched the ball uh, yeah I'm happy to go round three Mevi Mevi Redding and uh, I think that it's one all so far and I, and I think this is going to be two one to me ding 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 um, I, I'm feeling pretty confident about the, the third and final relegation team in our predictions and that's Hull City and I'm not sure the fans will be able to muster too much anger at this because the general feeling seems to be one of apathy it's quite clear to me that the club's owners uh, are not necessarily interested in putting together the the most competitive squad that they can Uh, this is uh, sort of I'm led to believe that because out of last season's side which was not a particularly good championship side anyway after relegation from the Premier League uh, they've lost well, seven or eight starters from that team. Alan McGregor, Sebastian Larson, Michael Dawson, David Myler, Abel Hernandez, Max Clark played a bit at fullback. Um, they've essentially they've lost their loanees from Chelsea that formed three out of their four defenders. Um, that's with the goalkeeper, of course, McGregor and Dawson, as I mentioned. So the whole back five is gone. I'm not that impressed with the recruitment. I don't think it's going to do the job. I don't think it's going to improve them. Reese Burke and Jordi Davis. De- of course, these guys are not proven at this level, so could end up being good. Uh, I'm not wholly convinced. I think that Dawson was really holding things together at times last season. Um, George Long, perfectly good goalkeeper for League One level. Whether he'll be good at Championship level remains to be seen. Sheffield United seemed very happy to get rid of him. Uh, and then two right-backs in, Todd Kane and Eric Lehigh. Fine, good, but just not enough. Just not nearly, nearly enough for Hull. Uh, and I'm pretty confident that even with Nigel Adkins' intense positivity, uh, I've certainly seen some quotes from him that have not matched that that usual positivity and excitement for the start of the season. I think that that says it all. When you've broken Adkins, um, you've certainly broken me. So Hull, Reading and Bolton uh, are predictions for relegation from the Championship. Above the relegation zone, I mean, we've got QPR in 21st, and uh, I suppose that despite the fact we're not tipping them to go down, I don't see this as a particularly positive prediction. Obviously, you know, these predictions, whether they sound positive or negative, can be relative to, to, to their expectations. So you haven't heard the name Rotherham. We've picked them to stay up. That'll be probably quite a positive um, review when we talk about them. But QPR, obviously... 21st would, would still not co- constitute a particularly good season, would it? Well, especially if you think that Ian Holloway lost his job on the back end of coming 16th last season um, and was replaced by Steve McLaren. I mean, McLaren is obviously a very high-level coach. He's, he's had much bigger jobs than this in the past, but you have to wonder if his methods are, are maybe a bit dated. Um, it's been a long time since he had any serious success in the managerial hot seat. Um, QPR conceded 70 goals last season. That was the same as Reading, the same as Hull, just two uh, less than, than Barnsley who did end up going down. And you just have to wonder if they've rectified that in any way whatsoever. They brought in um, Tony Leister, who we don't know much about, uh, the German. 
I mean, it's hard to get too excited about that signing, really. And, and you have to just wonder whether or not this is going to be one of those occasions where the job that Ian Holloway was doing was actually just far better than he was given credit for. Um, I'd, I'd, uh, yeah, if, if you're asking me if that, if that was a wise decision to, to, to sack him, I'd, I'd say probably not. If you think it's, ask me if it's a wise decision to bring in McLaren, I'd say probably not. So there's still quality in the squad. I mean, Luongo is obviously a, a fairly decent player. Freeman we love. Freeman's a, a fantastic player and why he's still there baffles us somewhat. And, uh, and Silla up top as well. I just think that, as I say, I, I think last year was maybe uh, better than, than expected and... and it wouldn't surprise me if McLaren's stay in, in West London was a fairly short one. Yeah, for me, I mean, look, they've lost the goalkeeper Smithies, they've lost Jack Robinson and Neda Manua, who I would consider to have been two of their more competent defenders. Certainly at the back, they look really, really quite, uh, well, just just a bit worryingly thin uh, in my eyes. Now, they have got some interesting young players and, and that will be hopefully a real positive part of their season. A very easy, so good on loan at Wickham last season. He's been given the n- number 10 shirt, which is a real sort of statement from, from Steve McLaren. Bright, I'll say, Samuel, who's been out on loan down in League One and League Two the last few years. Looks like he might be given some game time, a, a pacey winger. But, you know, I sort of come... I see that as a positive, these young players. And at the same time, I'm left thinking... Would Holloway not be a better player, a better manager rather, to, to be the man to lead them? I mean, you could argue that McLaren's a, uh, been a great coach in the past. Maybe he'll improve them on the training ground. But I just think as a, as a, as a character on more of a psychological level, I would rather Holloway be in charge of this squad. Regardless, he's not. Uh, we've got them staying up. But as you can tell from our, from our sort of overview, uh, it's not exactly convincing from our point of view. We wouldn't be surprised to see them down there even lower. In 20th, George... Rotherham. Now, there's no point trying to predict the, rea- the reaction to these podcasts, but I guess this would be one that, that would raise people's eyes. So Rotherham, very heavily tipped to go down, the favourites for relegation and to finish bottom. But uh, on top of the fact that two seasons ago they were one of the worst teams the Championship's ever seen. So explain to the listeners what, what we think is different this time, this Rotherham. I think this is just a case of being very impressed with how they dealt with relegation. We sat here a year ago uh, doing our League One table and said that we thought they were going to struggle in League One. We couldn't have been more wrong. We said that we thought Paul Warren was a reluctant manager who wouldn't be able to get the best out of his players. Again, we couldn't have been more wrong. They were really, really impressive. They started the season by consolidating their their place in the league by ensuring that they, they didn't drop the further down. And in the second half of the season, they were very, very impressive indeed. And to come through a playoff campaign, as they did, mightily impressive as well. So... I feel like they came up into the into the division as justifiably the third best team in League One last season. I think a lot of Shrewsbury fans will have, a, have something to say about that. And fair enough, they were better for, for longer swathes of the season. But by the time that playoff final came around, I thought that Rotherham deserved to go up. You look at their squad as well. I mean, there's not a lot to get excited about in terms of the, the incomings. I think Rabagat coming back on loan has been a, coming in on loan has been an interesting one. He's definitely going to make them more solid at the back. Um, Billy Jones as well, someone who's been there and done it and, and is very experienced, will bring some experience into that squad as well. And I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Carl Vassell, but you do feel like Paul Warren has an idea of how he wants to play. Very dominant, very, you know, the way they played last season, they didn't give opposition much of a chance. And you look at how well he did with strikers, whether it's um, Kiefer Moore, Michael Smith, and, and maybe now Carl Vassell. These are guys who haven't had much success at that level previously, but seem to, uh, seem to strive under him. So, 
you know, this is one of those weird ones where a 21st um, or a 20th finish would be a great result for Rotherham. But uh, I think that we give their League One form a little bit more credit than, than the market. One of the sort of categories that you look at when you're putting together your research for this sort of thing is teams that you can see being better than the sum of their parts and vice versa, teams with a talented squad that you're not sure the manager will get the best out of for whatever reason. Now, Rotherham, clearly, from our point of view, given that they are tipped to come bottom, we think will be better than the sum of their parts and hence, we have them surviving so that's uh, exciting news I suppose for Rotherham fans who are just praying to be more competitive than last time round and, and well we're saying to you then we absolutely uh, expect that to be the case 19th a team that came up with Rotherham second place Blackburn and uh, a manager in Tony Mowbray that we have huge amount of respect for I think it's fair to say but maybe a little underwhelmed by a lack of uh, a lack of reinforcement, shall we say. They're clearly a good team in League One, an exceptional team in League One with a points total in the 90s. Uh, and we're very excited to see Bradley Dack, you know, test himself at championship level. It looks like they're bringing in Casey Palmer as well to help him uh, sort of create behind the striker. Uh, they've also added Jacob, Daven- Jacob Davenport and a player that you know well, Georgian, Joe Rothwell. It just feels, I think, from our point of view, like they... You know, this, this is obviously not a, a terrible prediction for them. Uh, to, to stay up would be the first expectation, I think, or the main expectation for them. Um, but some people have been tipping them to come a bit higher. So we're sort of, we're slightly on the fence here. Yeah, I, I think that 19th next season would, would be fairly underwhelming, but also a, a solid season for them. They need to reassert themselves as a championship team. Um, the signings, as you mentioned, have been pretty underwhelming. I'm a huge fan of Joe Rothwell's um, in terms of purely his talent. But I, I can't see him making a huge impact here, um, given the quality they already have in those areas, whether it's as a 10, where I think he'd probably be at his best, whether Bradley Dack is going to ensure that he would have to take an injury in order to, to prevent him from going from playing there, or, or out wide, where he's always flattered to deceive a bit and never really been able to use the most of his, of his abilities. There's still a fantastic spine to this, this team. If you're looking at the likes of Mulgrew, Lenehan, you know, these are all class acts who, who will have no issue stepping up um, to that level then you know Corey Evans and Richie Smallwood and centre midfield are very solid as well it's all just fairly solid I, I don't think there's anything more here. And, and Tony Mowbray you've got a solid manager as well who will I think ensure they don't um, suffer another relegation but Dak aside there's just not quite enough sparkle uh, that's been added over the summer to, to show me that they're going to push on and I again would be surprised despite the new contract if they don't get off to a flyer this season you can you know, you can assume there's going to be a lot of a lot of people trying to get hold of that come January. In 18th position, we've got Birmingham City. Now they're another team that stayed up by the skin of their teeth. Really, that impressive final day of victory, but for for huge swathes of last season, another hugely disappointing season. Question marks over recruitment and uh, and the like. Question marks over the players' performances as well, for, for, for sure. So we've got them coming 18th. Looking at the squad, I mean. The outgoings, I don't think, will be players that they miss hugely in terms of, you know, a Tesha or a Lowe uh, or, a, or a Czech Cater, for example. But there's only been one incoming signing, and that's Christian Pedersen, the left-back from Union Berlin, uh, 23-year-old Danish. And that, that took a while to get over the line to be confirmed because of an alleged transfer embargo. And, and you know, whether that was true or not, the proof seems to be in the pudding because there's only been that one signing and Gary Monk appears to be slightly hamstrung by, by that. Uh, they've been left with a, a squad that's quite thin on, on numbers, really. That You know, centre-back, they've got Mark Roberts, Harley Dean, 
Michael Morrison, a couple of youngsters in Wes Harding and Dan Scar that, that'll get game time. That looks okay, but when you get through to the midfield and especially out wide and up top, aside from Hotter and I suppose Che Adams to an extent, it's hard to get too overexcited. Their striker options of Djukovic and, and Adams, again, just looking a little bit thin for me. And I suppose we're almost bumping them up a bit because of Gary Monk. Is that fair to say, George? One of, one of the managers of theirs that we've been slightly more positive than we were last year, for example. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Although I do still have a, a slight concern that if, if they don't get off to a flyer, you know, we've seen Monk time and time again when, when the chips are against him. He, he seems to kind of falter. Uh, and if that happens, it could be a bit of a disaster for them. But um, but yeah, I think that, again, they, they really disappointed last season. Uh, and until Monk came in, they just looked totally clueless and, and, and just weren't making the most of their talents. And, you know, whilst Monk certainly turned that season around to an extent towards the end of the season, I, I still haven't seen enough of him as a manager to suggest he's going he's gonna to be able to turn this squad and this group of players into anything better than, than you know, lower mid-table fodder. Interesting. Uh, another manager I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on. I think we. It's quite hard to judge Josla Hukai of Sheffield Wednesday after the second half of last season, in which he, he came in, steadied the ship to an extent after Carlos Carvajal left uh, in a bit of a huff. But um, but things weren't spectacular. He got the he got some good performances out of Lucas Schwau and Ate Nuiu. And, of course, the squad was suffering horrendously from injuries to key players last season. They're another side with, actually, as far as I can tell, no transfers in this summer. So clearly, clearly, that word again, hamstrung in the recruitment market. And that is obviously something that we look at when we look at these predictions. So uh, I think Sheffield Wednesday fans would say, well, we've got those injured players back now. You know, we've got the likes of Forestieri and, and, and Bannon and players like that will be fit firing ready for the start of the season how much does that you know excite you looking at the Sheffield Wednesday squad or how much does it not excite you I mean the strange thing about this squad is it feels even though they haven't got any new players in it it feels like they've almost stockpiled players in certain positions if you're looking at their striking options you know Hooper Fletcher Zhao Winnell they're all still there um, New who obviously had a bit of a renaissance towards the back end of last season as well um, if you're looking at kind of tidy midfield players you've got Hutchinson Bannon you've got Abdi further forward Jones in that, in that deeper role as well it just feels a bit a bit just a bit tired um, they, they you know Sheffield Wednesday had two playoff campaigns in a row then Carlos Carvajal leaves and, and last season felt like a bit of a hangover to that to that to those highs y- Yossa Hukai came in and by no means did any more to, than, than just provide some stability uh, I think even that's maybe a bit flattering um, the lack of new blood, I think, could really hurt them here. Even though there are class players in the squad, who I think that many clubs in the Championship who have better prospects than Sheffield Wednesday would like to have available to them, um, this just feels like uh, like a tired team and a team that needs to be re- you know reinvigorated. What about Wigan, who we've got in 16th position? Because they've gone down, then up, then down, and now up again in the last four seasons. A real yo-yo club between the Championship and League One. Now, they were fantastic in League One last season, and looking at the transfers, for the most part, sticking with that side. So they've brought back Christian Walton, who was so good for them in goal, on loan from Brighton. They've got Rhys James, very young, 18-year-old fullback, highly rated, comes in from Chelsea. Then Leonardo da Silva Lopez, who you'll know from 
essentially being a 19-year-old with about 100 senior appearances to his name at Peterborough, and Callum McManaman on a free, and Cal Naismith from, from Portsmouth also on a, uh, on a free. So what do we think about this Wigan squad? Are you happy with them basically using the squad from last season to, to and, and sort of being... <coughs> It seems like they're sort of settled and, and ready to, to just keep that momentum going. Is, is that something that, that you're happy with as well? Definitely. I, I think if, if you compare this Wigan team to the one that came up a couple of years ago under Gary Caldwell, in terms of personnel and manager, they are streets ahead of that team. Um, I think Paul Cook deserves his chance at this level. Um, he, I think, answered a lot of his critics by making Wigan into the team they should have been last season. Um, and in you know it's, it's going to be a big one coming up for, for a certain Will Grigg who needs to to prove that he can score goals at championship level he got off to a bit of a flyer in the league um, two years ago so he's shown he can do it he just faded away later on and to have been able to keep Nick Powell who seems to be content playing there is you know just as big for them as keeping Bradley Dack has been for for, for Blackburn I think that maybe Powell seems not to have that ambition that Dak has which could see him stay there for the foreseeable um, I'm not a, a massive fan of, of, of the Leonardo Silva Lopez signing I, I think that um, he's been fairly poor for, for Posh for a while now despite his young age um, and I can't really see that adding much but then I do think that Mamanaman and Naismith are both players who at championship level you know, Naismith's got a point to prove having done well at, at Pompey and Mamanaman's someone who everyone knows uh, very well indeed and, and whilst he may not be the most technically gifted right winger he's, he's certainly going to put himself about so yeah I, I'm, I'm positive about their chances and it wouldn't they would be the one team of the promoted lot who I could see feasibly doing a bit of a Millwall and, and, and getting a run up further up the league yeah I'm interested to see how Paul Cook does uh, you know more in terms of in-game management and changes that, that how he reacts uh, in-game to, to opposition managers uh, I've certainly seen some suggestions in the past that he is very much wedded to that 4-2-3-1 formation which worked very well last season of course but you do wonder when he's coming up against you know the godfather of modern football in Marcelo Bielsa and, and all these other potentially very talented and, and tactically savvy managers uh, he might need a different approach put it that way and um, last you know you spoke about Grig there I seem to remember what characterised them two seasons ago was how isolated their strikers always were and how difficult they found it to get the ball to them so Powell's going to have an even more important role this season um, not just in in adding goals and assists but really being a link player for them and being able to drive them forward be the link between the midfield and the attack Uh, in 15th we've got Ipswich who are one of the bookies favourites for the drop actually Um, a team who uh, we've sort of flitted between in the past because there was definitely a sense that we considered Mick McCarthy to have been doing about as well as he could have done with the Ipswich squad that he had Um, but at the same time now that he's gone and they've managed to persuade Paul Hurst to leave Shrewsbury and given him a bit of money to spend as well in the summer transfer window, I think it's fair to say that we're feeling quite positive about their chances and Hurst is someone that, that you absolutely love. Yeah, it's, I think it's fair to say to start with that um, that you know the money has been raised by the, by the sale of, of Webster fairly importantly, but at the same time it hasn't always been the Ipswich way in, way in recent years to allow the manager to spend that. And I think what Hurst has done has been very clever. That there are parallels with this job to, to the job he took on at Shrewsbury, where he's taking over a team that that maybe have been resting on their laurels recently and, and have to look over their shoulders. But he has proven at Grimsby and then at Shrewsbury that he is the manager who will get the very, very most out of his players. He also knows League One and League Two very well indeed. So no surprise to see him dropping in uh, to Crawley to get Jordan Roberts, to, to Bristol Rovers, to get Ellis Harrison and, and to get Gwyn Edwards from Posh. These are three players, or well, certainly Harrison and Edwards are, are two players who should, you know, at the age of 24 and 25, the next chapter of their career should do very well. 
I think we'll see more more incomings as well. And and you know this a fifteenth place finish for Ipswich after Mick McCarthy keeping them up pretty easily for the last few years may not seem like a, a step forward, but I really think it would be, and it would give Hurst a solid platform to keep uh, freshening up the team, keep bringing the players he needs. And, and I think Ipswich will be will enjoy the style of football they play. It won't be particularly attractive, but it'll be high intensity that they'll look to stop players from playing. And I think that they're in for, a, for an interesting season. How far can Paul Hurst go? That's what we're excited to see. We've got Norwich. Neighbours? Can we call them neighbours? Local rivals, Norwich uh, in 14. Norwich so neighbours. Just above Ipswich, but I think fairly interchangeable because clearly we're feeling pretty excited about the, the Paul Hurst era at Portman Road. And at Norwich, it, it can be a quite a tough one, I think it's fair to say, to, to predict this season because, of course, the, the headline outgoings of James Madison and Josh Murphy, which raised the club you know, in the 30 millions of pounds, uh, was, was necessary, was always going to happen, was something that they, they couldn't stop. So, so given that, you look at the players that they've brought in uh, and they do have to be careful because they came down two years ago with a huge budget, so many players on Premier League wages, um, one of the biggest wage budgets the Championship had ever seen. And, and they've been really trying to cut that back for the last two years now that the parachute payments have run out for Norwich and that's um, something that they've needed to do. So they've had to get a little bit sneaky in the transfer market. I think they've done a, a fairly good job. Obviously, we knew from last season that Daniel Farker was not afraid to look abroad for his signings, uh, and that's been the case again. So Moritz Leitner, who, who was on loan last year, has joined permanently. A German player with great pedigree um, growing up at Dortmund. Uh, Timo Pukki is another player that fans of European football will be aware of, um, a Finnish striker. We're not sure whether he's going to be the number one. We're not entirely sure whether Jordan Rhodes might be the number one who's come in on loan from Sheffield Wednesday. And they've also brought Ben Marshall in and, and uh, Emiliano Buendia as well, That's sort of uh, players that will play behind the striker. And Tim Krul in goal, I think, is pretty eye-catching. He's still only 30, Krul, and uh, they've got him on a free transfer from Brighton. So he's clearly decided that he's not happy being a backup goalkeeper and uh, Norwich are all the stronger for it. So uh, quite an interesting thing really quite a tough one to predict uh, in Daniel Farker George do they have a manager that that you like that you want to see more of and how, how do you judge I, him I, I don't know if I like him I think it's just interesting that, that the club are willing to continue to support him and that suggests to me like they they like him and they believe in him and, and that some of the recruitment last season wasn't great but these things don't happen overnight and uh, and we've seen the success that certain clubs can have by, by shopping smartly abroad let's say and um yeah, it's hard. It's hard to really judge them um, based on their transfer activity this season. I'm not sure that Jordan Rhodes is still the the goal scorer um, deluxe that he used to be. But yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to see them struggling. But I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that they could get promoted. So 14th um, seems seems fair enough. I'd like to make it very clear that I very much like Daniel Farker as a man. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I collared him after the EFL Awards at about 3am, I think it was, um, and made him listen to some of my uh, terrible opinions about the championship and, and, and about uh, various players and clubs within it. And he, was, he, he very much humoured me. He was very, very engaging and very nice. So uh, I personally hope that he does well because I found him quite, uh, quite pleasant, quite agreeable, I think it's fair to say. Um, another manager that we like a lot and a popular one at his club, for sure, 13th place, Millwall, Neil Harris. 
They went on the most absurd unbeaten run at the back end of last season, which almost saw them uh, enter the playoffs, which would have been one of the great achievements, really, across the whole of the EFL. And this season, well, we're, we're tipping them to come a few spaces below, but I don't really feel like that needs to be a, a negative prediction because I think that, again, they'll be really quite competitive. They've they've brought in Murray Wallace. Um, they've not made many more additions to the squad. He's backing the players that, that performed for him last year and you know, you've got to hope that with the, the, the character, the personality of that team that, that Harris um, and the, the unique nature of Millwall is able to, to create, that that will continue again this year. We expect them to be pretty, uh, pretty competitive, that's for sure. I think the interesting thing about Millwall's season last season is that if they hadn't had that run in the second half, they maybe would have struggled to keep a couple of players, you know, Jake Cooper... Um, Fred on your dim on your dimner maybe as well. Like, these would be guys who maybe be looking to move move to further their career. But Harris has shown that Millwall can be a club where they can kind of batter that top end of the division, and it wouldn't surprise us to see them do it again. But maybe that run at the end of last season might have some rose tinted glasses on the eyes of some Millwall fans hoping to go a bit higher because thirteenth would by no means be a disgrace this season. I think that the you know that that first eleven that became their core will mostly remain the same. Murray Wallace is obviously signed, as I mentioned, and possibly as, a, as an early replacement for Cooper, who I know has had big interest from, um, certainly from some of the big Scottish clubs. Uh, and then a real feature of last season with Millwall was Jordan Archer either making an incredible string of saves or chucking one in. Um, <laughs> and I think that he definitely split opinion amongst Millwall fans. They've brought in Ben Amos on loan from Bolton uh, to sort of challenge for that number one jersey. And that might bring out the best in, in, in Archer or they might go for Amos as a, a safer pair of hands. Mill will complete the bottom half for us. Just above them in 12th place, um, if you talk about Millwall's uh, solidity and their stability, their, their team spirit um, and, uh, and, and the personality of the squad, well, it's quite hard to know what the personality of this Swansea side is going to be, George, because although we know that in Graham Potter they have an exciting manager who did that incredibly well at Erstersons. That 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 personality of that squad was what you always read about in pieces about his success there. Uh, but in the squad of players and the turnover this summer, uh, it's quite hard to see whether that... It's quite hard to predict that, that, that they'll have an easy job, put it that way, certainly to start with. I mean, and if Leroy first stays at the club, then we have to obviously put them in the, in the bottom three because he gets relegated every season and he's still there at the moment. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's... It's a difficult one, this because if if Potter is is the you know the the manager that that many people hope that he is, then there are players in there who he could trigger into life. I mean, Tom Carroll, for example, should be too good for this level. Jay Fulton's a very exciting player indeed, and they've still got the likes of of you know Ollie McBurney, who we we think's a great great player who was at Barnsley last season uh, in the second half and did scored a lot of goals. Hopefully, he gets a chance at Swansea eventually. But it's just very hard to get excited about this. We're going to talk a bit more about, about the other relegated clubs afterwards and it just feels like they haven't quite taken the chance to to take stock of where they are to cut the deadwood and to reinvest in, in some promising players suited for this challenge uh, and losing Alfie Mawson is going to be a huge blow to them we, we assume that this is probably going to be confirmed by the time this goes out um, or, or if not tomorrow and, and that's going to be a massive blow but is that going to give Potter and their recruitment team some funds to, to go out and, and try and strengthen with? Uh, on paper, there, there still is a team there, but there, there's not enough, in my point of view, to, to warrant them being above any of the teams that we've got above them. Some real unrest, I think, in the fan base and actually <clears throat> actually 
Stuart James, who's a, a journalist uh, and a Swansea fan, I think sort of summed it up the other day. He said, two weeks ago, someone said to me, Swansea will do a Sunderland. I dismissed it. I'm not dismissing it now. I don't, behind, don't hide behind the don't read much into pre-season. Read all you want into the squad. It is what it looks on paper. Woeful. One new signing, a teenager, shambles again. So clearly amongst the fan base, there's not a huge amount of positivity heading into this season. And, you know, the bookmakers still have them as probably in the top six in terms of favourites. But, you know, they pretty much have that with every relegated Premier League team every year and not necessarily sure in this case whether it's uh, particularly merited. Uh, We've actually... Same can be said for this one. Yeah, we've joined them up uh, in eleventh place with West Brom. Is there an extent to which you can you can sort of copy and paste what we just said about Swansea, or is it is it slightly different with West Brom? I think it's slightly different for two reasons. I mean, there have been a couple of players signed, and they are players who look like you know sharp signings on paper. Sam Johnson, uh, a dagger through the hearts of Villa fans, has joined the Baggies. Um, Kyle Bartley is someone who leads I think gutted that they didn't go back in to resign Connor Townsend's a player who at 25 I think is another one who's set, ready to make that step up to the championship it's at the other end of the pitch where the issues start and you're looking at their squad now Nasser Chadley is set to leave obviously very soon I mean there's no way he was ever going to start the season uh, in the championship Matt Phillips is being linked to move away Rondon's set to replace Mitrovic at Newcastle Rodriguez is set to go to, to Burnley this is leaving us with very few players. Oliver Burke, who obviously seems like he's got immense talent, but we haven't really seen it. Um, Jonathan Laker, who again, we're told is, has talent. We're not sure about this. Harvey Barnes should be a fantastic loan signing from, from Leicester. Um, obviously was un- unbelievably popular at uh, MK Dons two seasons ago. And then last year did very well at Barnsley before being recalled in January. He should be good, but that's not enough. They need more players. And, and, and until we see the, you know, the colour of their money, see what comes in to replace all those players who look like they're going to be leaving, it's hard to predict anything good for them. And then Darren Moore, they've got a manager who, as popular as he may be and as well as he must, uh, did last season, you cannot hang your hat on him being capable at this level. So it, it, I just think it's impossible to predict. They may well be great. They may well bring in fantastic forward players and, and come in the top three or four. But at this stage, I, I just don't see how you can get too overexcited or too positive about their chances. I feel like some people overestimate the strength of, of Premier League teams by just looking at recognisable names in yeah. the squad as they Definitely. come down. I mean, look at last season. Sunderland obviously came bottom. Hull 18th. Now, those were very, very bad sides. Um, Middlesbrough themselves struggled to, to, to turn things around, to put together that, that new squad. And that is generally what you need because the, the, the emotional roller coaster of relegation and the bad feeling that it incites within, within a club, within a dressing room, means that turnover is very, very necessary. I think we're looking at Swansea and West Brom and we're saying, have they done enough? Well, it doesn't look like it at this stage. The transfer window shuts in, in, in about nine, ten days and there's a lot of work to do at both of these clubs. I feel a little bit bad for Darren Moore. Uh, there were suggestions at the start of the summer that you know, in terms of the help he was getting uh, at a higher level, at board level, in terms of football operations, was, was hugely minimal and, and, and very inexpert. And for a new manager to have to deal with that off the back of, of a relegation is, uh, you know, it's too much, I think. And that's why heading into the season, you know, we are not sitting here and saying, gosh, look at some of those players we recognise. We're, we're almost doing the opposite and saying... They need more. They need a lot more and they need to settle quickly. Otherwise, this could, be, uh, this could be an issue. So West Brom, certainly one of the bookies' favourites, definitely not one of our favourites. So we move into the top 10 now. And George, 
Sheffield United, they finished 10th last season. We've got them 10th again this season. So uh, in terms of Chrissy Wilder and Sheffield United, who's so impressive in the first half of last season, uh, we're expecting more of the same. Is that yeah, fair to th- say? Well, there's no reason to think that they would, they would regress. Um, John Egan's a, a, you know, a fairly solid signing, even if I think 4 million quid may be a, a wee bit dear um, for him. But you know, Brentford's captain and, and he's proven himself at this level before. Um, and they've kept the players that made them successful last season. I mean, you're looking at the likes of uh, in midfield. They can keep that. Well, I mean, I suppose it's four of them really after Coots' injury with, with Lundstrom, Fleck, Coots, and Duffy uh, all able to play pretty fluidly in a three um, with, with one with one at the top. Um, if you're looking up top, they've, they've retained or well, they're you know keeping Billy Sharp and Leon Clark. I think they'd probably like to have one more in there as well, just uh, maybe some fresh legs. Those two do have a combined age of 65 now, um, but but you know Leon Clark's never been better. So I think yeah, the, and Chris Wilder gives gives you exactly what you expect. Uh, he's never ever failed at a club. That's the thing. I mean, he was. The, the, the darkest moment of his managerial career was probably when he was basically bombed out of Oxford and that was because the football he was playing Oxford were third or fourth in the league when he, when he left and, and that um, moniker of kind of dinosaur football has certainly left him now I think that Northampton team was fantastic and at times Sheffield United last season in the first half of the season played some really really good stuff played front foot football and possession based football so again I, I can't see them regressing 10th uh, is probably quite a quite a timid um, prediction I think I had them a bit higher and you had them a bit lower so we kind of mm-hmm. knocked our heads together and put them there um, but I, I think it could be a really really exciting season from one or two more would, would have them there if, if Chris Wilder gets his way there'll be seven or eight coming in on deadline day well they raised obviously <laughs> 10, 12 million from the sale of David Brooks uh, there have been a couple of other outgoings as well and and yeah, you mentioned it earlier, and it made me laugh that in in your experience of Chris Wilder, he'll be he'll be doing deals, you know, probably past the deadline, and uh, so we can we can certainly expect a bit more activity there. We've got Aston Villa in ninth, so the playoff finalists from last year have had a pretty chaotic few months. I think it's fair to say um, it's it, it's probably too nitty gritty to get into much detail, but issues. Cash flow issues, I think it's fair to sum it up. We've all had it at uh, points in our lives. Uh, Villa had it a pretty bad time, I think it's fair to say. Luckily, some new owners have, have swooped in, uh, bought a large stake in the club and made sure that those short-term issues uh, were avoided. Of course, with the FFP regulations, we expect that Aston Villa will have to keep one eye on that, maybe, maybe one and a half, to be honest, uh, as they go forward. But, of course, they have um, the, the asset of Jack Grealish, who might go before the end of the transfer window, but it's also possible that he could be, he could be there until at least January. And if he's there, George, we, we, we might have had them higher than ninth, but we can't be sure at this stage. And so it, it's, it's one of those ones. From our point of view, he's hugely important here because he can carry this squad, which is not looking that good at the moment, but we'd expect to be strengthened over the next week. But if he's not there, all of a sudden it, it, it looks relatively bland, relatively average. It does, but you have to expect there'll be signings. Um, I mean, anyone who's listened to this before will know my opinions on Jack Grealish. Anyone who doesn't, uh, you know, watch him because he's he's, he's the second coming. Um, so he's incredibly important to keep him. And I think the fact that Spurs are trying to sign him um, and are very interested in him speaks a lot for his abilities. And you know, if, if he goes to Spurs, he'll be playing for them. Don't worry about that. And that, and that you know that says a lot. They've got a Premier League footballer playing centre midfield for them. Um, 
But it's just the players they bring in is going to be interesting. We don't know who's in charge of recruitment. There's been a lot of rumours that Steve Bruce won't have any say in who they bring in. Talk today from local journalists that he's basically ignoring that advice and trying to bring in players to prove his you know, recruitment capabilities, which could in itself get messy. The fact they've already, I think, tried to replace him with, with Thierry Henry and then that's gone against plan, it may mean that the transfer activity isn't the important thing here. It's the stability of the club. Obviously, in terms of cash, they're now at least in the short term, um, fine. It looks like in the long term they could be even better. But are they all putting in the right direction? Has there been enough work done in the summer to make sure they can retain their form from last season? Are they going to lose Chester and, and, and Grealish? There are still a lot of question marks here. One it's, question you didn't ask there is, is Steve Bruce the right man in, in your eyes and in some of the fans' eyes? I think maybe not I think to, he, he, the, the man to, to really galvanise this team. It, it all seems to me... <laughs> that if Grealish hadn't hit that absurd run of form from January onwards, you know, the first half of the season, we did not rate this Villa side. And they were getting nowhere near the playoffs at that stage. And of course, they were lucky to have Grealish. But outside of him, the system was tired for me. Um, There was no spark, really. And I think that, you know, that is the type of thing. I don't like to blame managers for everything, but that's the type of thing that that I, I probably... I probably do look at the manager for. It's also worth keeping in mind that Aston Villa were desperate for funds for, what, six weeks, two months? And two players were in high demand and they were, they were Chester and Grealish. You can be pretty sure that there a lot of that squad were being offered around to everyone who could afford them. The likes of probably, who looking at? Probably Hogan, probably um, Lansbury for sure. Maybe even Hurahane maybe even and Whelan for sure. Yedinak. And, and, and they couldn't shift them. Yeah. And, and that is a kind of a damning indictment of, of, the, of the squad depth they've got and the amount of money that these guys are going to be on. So it's going to be a huge, huge 10 days for them. It's obviously fantastic news for the club that they have been able to, um, to, to get out of that financial hole. But I don't think that the problems end there. And I don't think that that in itself is going to lead to Villa suddenly being a, a, a promotion contender. In eighth place, we've got Leeds United uh, in the, the Marcelo Bielsa era. And I think this was another one that we didn't necessarily agree on. So we've sort of met in the middle. George, uh, put your case forward for Leeds to be more in, in the sort of 10th to 14th region. Um, you spoke about it on our betting preview podcast, which are available wherever you've listened to this preview podcast. But just in terms of Leeds, uh, you're not feeling that excited, put it that way, about the Bielsa revolution. I think as like a qualifier here, it wouldn't be a massive surprise to me if Leeds finished first, second or third. But if you're, if you're looking at what's more likely to happen, given the owner's exploits with managers last season, given the, the, the transfer activity that's happened so far this summer or lack of, given Bielsa's, uh, you know, his constant falling out with clubs that he manages, his inability to manage uh, a, a club team for longer than about a season... This seems like a match possibly made in hell. Um, I, I, I haven't seen much from Leeds' squad to suggest they're going to be able to cope with the system that he wants to play. Um, there's no chance that Bielsa's going to change the way he wants to play. You can be sure of that. Um, I think it's, it's either going to be the 3-3-1-3 the three, 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 or it's going to be the, the four at the back with a similar... Not a pragmatist, I think no, it's fair to and, say. And therefore, in my eyes, the most likely scenario from this Leeds journey will be a change of manager in a few months' time and a, and a group of players who've been assembled to play a certain way or told to play a certain way suddenly being told to play a totally different way. Obviously, that's worst-case scenario. But in my opinion, 
that is more likely than, than it all clicking from the word go. And even if it does click from the word go, then you have the fatigue issues that most Bielsa teams have anyway. And that could mean another season like under Gary Monk, where they <laughs> fast start and, 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 and falling away. I, I mean, I'd be, I'd be surprised to see them finish in, in the top four or five at the end of the season. And, and it wouldn't shock me massively to see them lower than the eighth that we, we've predicted. Ander Herrera said that for the first seven months of a season under Bielsa in La Liga, Athletic were the, the fittest club by an absolute mile and went into every game knowing it. Uh, and he said that they essentially hit the wall with about two months to go. And that was why they sort of fell away and didn't manage to win the, the Europa League and fell away a bit in the, uh, in the league as well. So that's definitely something to watch out for because the squad is not massively deep and there are high demands put on players, both mentally and physically, playing in this Bielsa system. Um, I, I suppose I might be a bit more of a romantic here, so I'm, I am a bit more excited than you. Um, I think that there's a possibility that he really could be uh, something very special, something that we haven't seen in terms of a manager at this level uh, since you know, maybe Nuno aside. Um, but Nuno's a good example. It wasn't... A hugely original system that Wolves played last season but it was certainly a system that the championship had not really been ready uh, or used to playing against and, and teams just never quite adapted so if Bielsa and his dynamic system can work there's a possibility that some managers and some teams in this division could be absolutely bamboozled by it and it could be fantastic now I think it is also uh, risky I think it's a risky System. I think there's a possibility that some direct teams might cause trouble for Leeds. Looking forward to that first game against Millwall, who obviously did so well against them last season as well. Um, they do have some, some good players, some interesting players. And, and in signing Barry Douglas and Patrick Bamford, you know, the fans are certainly very excited about these. I know that you know, I, I like them both. You're not as sure about Bamford. And, and for seven million, you're not positive that, that Middlesbrough will be that disappointed to lose him yeah I think it just reeks of a, of, of a club wanting to sign a striker and getting one in I mean he scored 10 and 31 last season fine I mean I, I think that they wouldn't be spending 7 million on that um, output out, outlay this season and then you have to go back he scored one one league goal since 14-15 before that it's just, I mean that I, I just cannot imagine how I mean I honestly thought he'd be more likely to be loaned out to a, like a, a lower end of the league team rather than being bought for 7 million by a team going for promotion he's obviously got ability but he hasn't done it for ages it seems yeah I mean I'm, I'm baffled by that one personally interesting well you know the other thing to look out for is that Bielsa's team always have some sort of link uh, between the midfield and the defence someone who drops in and it's an incredibly demanding role it'd be interesting to see who is is, is the main one of those whether that's Forshaw whether that's Calvin Phillips uh, I'm not entirely sure yet uh, I think that Forshaw and Phillips have both had a bit of a go in the, in the friendlies and then it remains to be seen if players like Lewis Baker um, Pablo Hernandez Samu Saiz uh, Alioski as well if these players can, can many, fit How many tens have you got? I mean it's just I suppose that works actually for Loads of tens mate. it's exactly yeah. what he wants it's yeah. going to be fantastic um, I can't wait uh, it's going to be just great to watch and you know what the first few weeks of the season have chucked up some really great fixtures as well so um, Leeds are certainly going to be a very interesting team to track but ultimately we've got them in 8th place so now the last spot before we get to the playoffs tantalisingly close for Bristol City but we've gone for a 7th place finish now that would represent a better finish than last year that would represent a better finish I think that the bookies are predicting and and probably um, a pretty good finish in the eyes of the fans I reckon Um, but some of them have been a bit worried about losing Flint Uh, some of them a bit worried about losing Bobby Reid but 
we, we're, we're not that worried about that, are we? I think you look through the, the signings they brought in. I mean, you look at Webster to replace Flint. You know, me and you have, have said that he's argue, arguably a better centre back. You got Jack Hunt, who's who you know has had experience at this level and and, and played for decent teams. Vyman's another one who just a bit of quality. He's only twenty six. Andreas Vyman, it's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Marley Watkins, another player who, who's struggled at Norwich, looking to revitalise his career. Um, Adela Kuhn is someone we really enjoyed at Scunthorpe as well and then and then Moisa who who I'm you know eyeing up the I think it's 66 to 1 available and him to be top goal scorer because I think that he'll slot right into this team Bobby Reid had only scored 11 goals in his career before last season and then was converted into into this forward role and scored 23 league goals I think Issa's going to come in and do very well I'm, I really really like Lee Johnson and the way he goes about his business and, and, I, and I think that the way they play football and the, the strengthening they've, they've done to their squad puts them in good stead and, and I think they'll have a, another great season if you subscribe to the view that last season's incredible Carabao Cup run in which they had to play and beat Man United and then play Man City twice all in those busy December, January early February months uh, if you subscribe to the view that that had a huge impact on, on their drop off in league form then I think there's no reason to, to, su- to suggest anything other than them being another very, very good team this year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just as excited to see them play as you are. I, I feel like this is a club on the up in general, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they go this season. In Nottingham Forest, George, you've probably got uh, one of the most eye-catching teams in terms of the transfer business they've done this summer. They seem to do it all quite early as well, which means that Karanka's had plenty of time uh, to get to grips with his incredibly bloated squad. Uh, and uh, some would say that sixth would be too low for Forrest. There, there's, there's suggestions that this could be a team that blitzes the league. And where have we heard that before? Where have we heard that well, before? I, I think that's the issue here, is that, is that people are, are hearing Mr Mendez's name bandied about and, and they're looking at the, these players they never heard of coming from these... Uh, the Benficas and Monaco's and thinking it's going to happen again. Seeing a couple of clips of a couple of their players swanning around pre-season friendlies against against uh, some fairly ropey looking opposition and sticking the ball in the back of the net. Um, a few key things for me. Uh, Aitor Kranka isn't Nuno. Um, I think there's, there's a clear gulf in class between the two coaches and managers where Nuno came in as an elite manager and, uh, and got elite results from a team full of players who were brought in with high pedigree, if you're asking me. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and present I know much about João Carvalho, about uh, Diogo Goncalves, or about uh, Gil Diaz. You know, I, I don't. Um, but even looking at the qualities that they bring to, bring to the club, compared to someone like Helder Costa, or compared to someone like Ruben Neves especially, uh, it, it, it looks like a different calibre in terms of what they've already achieved. Um, there's also the thought that this is the first this is the first season this could be the transition season when Helder Costa came in at Wolves when even Caviero came in they finished I think 17th uh, with a manager maybe who wasn't suited to it in Zenga uh, followed by Lambert and to think that this Nottingham Forest team who let's face it were, were fairly dire last I mean were, were poor were really poor last season uh, to think that they're going to bring in a couple of new players and, and head straight to, the, straight to the top of the table like Wolves did. You know, football's not that easy in a game. It isn't that easy a game. It's not that simple to turn a club that's struggling in, in, into league winners. Maybe these players will be superb, but I'm not going to sit here and look at, their, look at their fancy names and look at the clubs they've come from and just assume that they're going to be great. At the same time, we've got them finishing in the playoffs. So, we, you know, the, the, we, we, still, we still think that they're going to have some quality. And, and in Lewis Graben, there's a player that we do know that they've signed, that we do rate, that we do think can score them 15 to 20 goals. Second top scorer in the, last, in, in the league last season and certainly one of the favourites to, to, to be up there again this year. And I think that that mix of, of, of potential 
superstars from abroad uh, and you know we haven't mentioned Sudani the 30 year old Algerian we watched some clips of him yesterday turns out he's got an absolutely unbelievable goal scoring record throughout his career at Dynamo Zagreb and also for Algeria so really excited to see what he does but then you know Michael Dawson Jack Robinson Costel Pantilimon Jack Colback there's a sort of second tier to their recruitment which is uh, players that have played in, in the top two tiers of English football and who will know the league which is obviously a phrase that gets banded around a lot so we do think that Forest are strong enough to be in the top six we don't see them running away with things at the top um, we're certainly holding back a little on that sense and, and above them George in fifth place we've got Preston North End now Preston were that team last year that threatened to break into the playoffs and never quite did and one of the reasons for that was uh, they were always competitive and got good results against teams in and around them. They were always, always good in those big games. Uh, and you can ask any team, any team's fans that came up against Preston, it was never an easy game. The problem they had was winning games at home against lesser opposition. And that was a, a, an issue all season, actually breaking teams down that let Preston have possession, that let them dictate the play. It wasn't necessarily something that suited them. I suspect, and we clearly think with them in fifth position, that that is the sort of issue that can be overcome, uh, that, that Alex Neal can overcome with the help of his squad, who are almost to a man, young, improving, dynamic players, um, mostly quite unheralded, few of them big names. Uh, and that really plays into what is a squad that is, and here's the buzzword again, more than the sum of their parts. I think that the squad reflects Alex Neal perfectly as a manager and as a man. And they were really, really good last season, somehow under the radar, despite their league position. And, uh, and you know, we've just got them popping up a few places and entering the playoffs because to us, this is a team very much on the up and, and, uh, and a, a bit of interesting business as well, George. Their, their central midfield, for example, uh, the addition of Mr. Ledson makes them look pretty strong, I think it's fair to say, in that department. Yeah, and I think that... Preston don't get enough credit for their recruitment. I mean, they very rarely spend fees when they when they do. They're they're, they're fairly uh, small for the level, and yet they're still batting in the, in the top half of the championship at least. Uh, Ledson's a player who I think will, um, given how much Preston fans seem to love Ben Pearson, I think they're gonna they're gonna be pretty happy with Ryan Ledson as well. And that Ledson Brown Pearson. Um, trio could be really exciting going forward, and obviously with Paul Gallagher a bit of a wily experience in there as well to help out. So. Yeah, I, I'm excited as you are. I, th- I think that the players they brought in will just add a little bit of, of, of energy and, and substance to their play next season. I think under Alex Neal, we can expect another season where they, um, yeah, where, where they improve and they get into the playoffs. And they're one of I think two teams who we've slightly, you know, put our put our weight behind to think that this is going to be really a really exciting season for them. In fourth, Derby County. Now, everything we thought we knew at the start of the summer about Derby County's summer of you know, tightening the purse strings and Frank Lampard working with a massively reduced budget doesn't seem to have come to pass. I mean, they've managed to get rid of Darren Bent's pretty exceptional wage, but they've still got a lot of those players that you thought they might move on, especially in forward areas. And Vidra. Uh, most importantly, is still a Derby player as we record this, which many would not have predicted at this stage. But they've also brought in Jack Marriott, brought in Florian Josephson and Harry Wilson and Mason Mount. Now, that's a front four already. Uh, they've, still, they've still got their, their strikers from last year in Lawrence and Vidra and 
Nugent and Jerome and Chris Martin and Ikechi Anya, all these guys are still there. So actually, the squad that Lampard has now at his disposal looks quite bloated. But we're feeling pretty positive about that and about you know the sort of early signs of, of Lampard as he heads into management, George. Yeah, um, I, I'm. I just can't wait to watch um, Mason Mount playing in, in the Championship. I just think it's really exciting to have a guy who who feasibly could be one of the brightest talents in the country um, for one of the biggest teams in the country, gracing the championship, being being managed by a legend of the club, his parent club. It's going to be fascinating to see how he does. You know, double-figure goals in the Eredivisie last season, nine assists uh, at the tender age of 18 and 19. So he's going to be fascinating. I, I'm unsure about Marriott um, for the fee that they've paid uh, 25-odd goals for Luton in, in, um, in League Two. And then he goes to Posh, where... Let's be honest, he's not the first uh, Peterborough striker to, to score a hatful and then move on and, and struggle. So, But if it is an expensive mistake, then as you mentioned, they've got, they've got a fair few strikers uh, waiting there to, to swoop in. So um, so yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with this Derby, Derby train. I think there's no reason to think that the, the settled defensive unit they had last season won't continue. And, and going forward, they seem to have way, way more... Uh, for, for Frank Lampard to play with. I'm feeling a bit better about Marriott than you are. I, 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 my initial reaction was similar to yours and, and, and Connor Washington sprung to mind immediately. I remember when he moved up from Peterborough uh, thinking that, you know, given that his, uh, his pace was his major asset and he was scoring so many one-on-ones at League One level, those sort of chances that don't present themselves with as much regularity at Championship level, my first thought was that Marriott might be in a similar mould. But looking at his goals last season, um, what struck me was, it was, was the, his pace, of course, but uh, his movement, the way that he, he moved around and in front of defenders. And most of his goals seemed to be tucking in low crosses and finishing really well. So uh, I'm feeling a bit better about him than you, but it appears that they'll be playing a sort of 4-3-3. Lampard, obviously, remembering the glory days of his career between 04 and 06 with Mourinho, in which uh, the 4-3-3 was what you know, led Chelsea to two titles. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if he can, if he can re- recreate that in any way at Derby. We're really excited to see that. Three teams to go, and our final playoff team to start with is Brentford, George. And my early money is on this being the one that people call over the top, people call uh, a big call, but we don't feel like that. I should say as well that we have a friend who supports bees and he doesn't agree with this at all. So Brentford, third place, it's an eyebrow raiser uh, for everyone apart from us. Yeah, I, I just think that the back end of last season, they were very, very impressive. I know that it's not the first time that Brentford have turned it on when the pressure's somewhat off, but they were still going for a playoff spot. Um, they lost one game of their last nine. And unlike last season, you assume now, uh, given that there aren't, you know, the, the rumours surrounding interest of certain players doesn't seem to be reaching uh, a tipping point. So the likes of, uh, of Ollie Watkins, especially um, Chris Mepham and, uh, and, and Ryan Woods are three players who are so important to them and give them such a strong um, spine and they're, they're young enough that they're all improving so rapidly. Watkins only 22, Woods still only 24 and, and, and Mepham just 20 years old all have incredibly big futures ahead of them. Um, last season I'm totally convinced that they were one of the top best six teams in the league without question. Um, just some unbelievably bad game management and some woeful finishing cost them their playoff spot and a terrible run of form at the, at the beginning of the season. Um, they have 
players, enough players in, you know, if you're looking at the likes of their support players, the likes of Romain Soyes is obviously a superb player, Sergio Canios as well. Um, the guys at the back, there's quality all around the squad. And you have to also think that the recruitment strategy they have, which has been so successful for so long, is going to keep creating these fantastic players, whether it's uh, Saeed Benarama, who, again, I'm not going to pretend to know much about, but I have more faith that he will be a success given the success they brought, they brought in in the past. Same uh, with Mr. Jean Vier, the, def- the, the defender they signed today, uh, I think from Rennes, someone in, in, in France. And uh, I, I put my French degree to good use reading some of the comments uh, to a French journalist who reported the move. There was a, uh, some alarm uh, from the Rennes fans that they were only getting uh, a rumoured £2 million for this chap that they considered to be worth more like £10 million. And that struck us as, as very Brentford. And I think, you know, it's no secret that we tipped them up to do better last season than they did but from my point of view I completely agree with everything you've just said it's a team it's a squad and it's a club in general and a board uh, that we want to be getting behind because we see nothing but uh, good results they've finished in the top 10 the last four seasons since they were promoted from League One and, and, and they've no right to be there in terms of budget in terms of you know history if that makes any difference which it doesn't in terms of the size of their stadium uh, and, uh, and it, it's just hugely impressive uh, I, I'm fully behind this as well this isn't one of those ones where we didn't agree uh, really really excited to start the season I'll be at B's Rotherham on Saturday I wanted to see them uh, straight away and, and see if my eyes agree with, with our research and with our pre-season predictions. So Brentford in third place in the Championship, which leaves two teams and some of you will have worked it out by now. Uh, some of you will be completely lost because you, you can't remember off the top of your head <laughs> who's left and that's fair enough. I'm struggling too as well. Some of you will scrub to the top just to see who the top two are. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Middlesbrough uh, in our second place, George. Uh, Tony Pulis's Middlesbrough. They lost very disappointingly in the playoff semi-finals last time out but let's not put us off too much we, we just think that they're going to be uh, what a strong solid team in a in a league that where we're struggling to see obvious uh, challenges yeah I, I think this is mainly the Pulis factor um even though it wasn't necessarily the the initial impact we expected from Pulis he he turned the team that was really underperforming under Gary Monk and, and over time not in his usual methods, um, turn them into a, a, a real force to be reckoned with. And I think that they deserve their spot in the playoffs. And I was surprised just how, how poorly they played in, in those games against Villa, um, especially the second leg. Uh, in Aidan Flint, they've got a man who, if Pulis is going to rely quite heavily on set pieces, which wouldn't be a shock, wouldn't be the first time, is going to get them a few goals, undoubtedly. In Paddy, Paddy McNair, they've got a really exciting player as well, who I think despite the absolute shambles that was Sunderland last season, still came away with, uh, with a lot of credit. So it's, it's not particularly flashy. A Traore, if he does stay, looks set to be out injured for a while, but you still reckon uh, January could come and come for him. But it's Pulis. They're going to be efficient. It reminds me so much of when Karanka took them up as well, where you just looked at the squad and you just thought to yourself, they're not going to finish outside the top four this. And, and for that reason alone... Um, I think automatic promotion is, is a fair shout. Interesting. Uh, I don't have too much to add there. I, I, I agree, generally. And um, I think that, you know, ideally they'll play uh, a more exciting brand of football than Tony Pulis is, is, um, is known for. And I think that one of the problems was a, a bit of a slow central midfield last season and not a lot offered going forward from those central midfielders. That's where I think McNair is going to be an interesting signing. 
He showed a real dynamism towards the back end of last season for Sunderland after he came back from injury. Uh, an eye for goal as well, which is probably not noticeable from his time at Man U. Scored a couple from range, a couple where he uh, arrived late in the box and showed quick feet and good finishing. So I think McNair's going to give them something different. And uh, they are our second place pick, which leaves George, Stoke City and Gary Rowett. They have come down from the Premier League. We clearly believe that they are going to deal with that better than the other relegated teams. What is it about Stoke that makes us so convinced that they will be the champions come the end of the season? I think there's just no question that they have dealt with relegation far better than anyone else. In terms of the quick decision to appoint the man that they wanted to get to have the job in Gary Rowett, I know there are some people around who who aren't completely convinced he's the right man, but they clearly are. They've managed to retain players who are just genuinely too good for this level whether it's Bruno Martins Indy whether it's Ryan Shawcross I mean Joe Allen is a massive player to get to commit their future going forward I mean even Darren Fletcher's still there it's, it's really really exciting and, and Benekophobi has come in Tom Ince has come in these are guys who I think are just absolute class we saw a Tabo in the World Cup as well um, and and even you know Ginelli Mbula, who obviously had a torrid time when he first came to the club, he has come out and said that he, his his only his only focus at the moment is getting fit and ready to play for Stoke next season. This looks to me like a team in the wrong in the wrong league with a manager who deserves his chance to try and get a promotion. And I have this is a confident one for me that I think Stoke will bounce back as champions straight away. Nothing more to add, Your Honour. Thank you very much for listening, guys. That's been our 1-24 to championship season predictions. This has obviously been a bit of a long one for us, and we're doing two more as well. So please make sure that you're listening to the League 1 and League 2 predictions where you'll get the same format and a similar level of insight and research and opinion. And we hope that you've enjoyed that. Please let us know at NTT20pod. If you've enjoyed some of our picks, if you disagree with our picks, we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, Let us know why. Let us know what we've missed and uh, we'd be grateful to hear from you. We'd also be hugely grateful if, having got to the end of this, if you've enjoyed it, if you thought it was, uh, if, if, it, if you thought it was worth your time, if you could just retweet the tweet that you saw with this link in, uh, or do your own tweet, recommend us to your followers. We'd be really grateful. We we made it into the top ten of the sports podcast charts last year, and we'd like to do a similar thing this year. So we need your help, and we're grateful for for, for your listening. We're grateful for your support, and uh, and until next time, thanks for listening.